The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Look, we are we are uh, eight to nine to nine billion people on this planet, and um, if we do not take care of our planet, um, it will it will backfire in many ways. So it's I think more than ever a question of what do we learn out of that crisis and how do we go forward. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Beccani. Welcome back to another edition of COVID-19 from Crisis to Creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco-Beccali, your host. Well, for this edition, I thought, why not look at the forgotten crisis? Does anybody still care about climate change in times of COVID-19? Well, if you look at some of the experts out there, for example, Isabel Schnabel, she is one of the executive board members of the European Central Bank. She actually thinks that COVID-19 could be the circuit breaker to finally transition into a more sustainable CO2-free society and economy. Well, in order to discuss whether this is really an opportunity, the COVID-19 crisis, to do exactly that, I invited Eric G. Saracen to the show. Eric, thank you so much for being with us here on Mentorate TV. Good morning, Patricia. It's my pleasure. Before getting into uh, the subject, Eric, let me quickly introduce who you are to our Mentorate TV community. You, of course, are the family member of one of the oldest, more import most important banking dynasty, the, the Saracen banking family, private banking, that was then sold to uh, Jay Safra family a few years ago. Um, you developed that business really into one of the top private banks, actually globally speaking as well. 30 years of banking experience, and now you've moved more into private equity, investing in sustainable businesses, uh, as well as being a huge philanthropist and also involved in uh, NGOs and societies that really try to promote to safeguard our nature, our world going forward. So that is all about you. Um, Eric, let's kick off our discussion. Do you actually think that climate change is really a forgotten crisis right now? Do you think there is enough focus on it? Well, I, you know, the media controls pretty much what comes out and uh, COVID has been dominating what's uh, out there and what and has been dominating the headlines, which is normal after such a crisis, which, which is uh, touching a whole humanity and changing everything that we are used to and, and has enormous damage on uh, social-wise, but economically as well. Uh, but nevertheless, on the contrary, I think the, the, the whole climate change movement, which has died down a bit in terms of the demonstrations that we had before and so on, this is still very much uh, on the focus. And you have seen with uh, reduced, um, reduced air traffic and with reduced ac economic activity, you have seen examples of some oceans that all of a sudden are clean and uh, all these effects, positive effects on environment that all of a sudden, sorry, people say, why? Look at that. Why did that happen? Probably we, we, have, we are too much, uh, we have in our search for globalization, for more economic activity everywhere, we have overdone it. And 
COVID indirectly is is a consequence of that. Although you know it could have been contained, but look, we are we are uh, eight to nine to nine billion people on this planet, and um, if we do not take care of our planet, um, it will it will backfire in many ways. So it's I think more than ever a question of what do we learn out of that crisis and how do we go forward and um, you see a lot of things happening right now and uh, I, I think uh, it's, it's an excellent opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And uh, there you are actually agreeing with Isabel Schnabel to say it is an excellent opportunity to really use COVID-19 in what is happening in terms of response and also the effect, as you were just saying, on how the climate straight away kind of popped back up uh, once, uh, you know, our economy was shut down for a few weeks. So where do you see the opportunity? Let's get a little bit more specific, Eric. Uh, I think in you see the programs that uh, the two trillion program in the United States for more green, uh, using it more into the, the green and alternative uh, energies and uh, projects in that in the European community as well. I think we should all, we should all, it's easier said, but there should be a coordination on what should be done exactly. And I just have here the, a report, I don't know if you, if, if you saw it, from the World Economic Forum, The Future of uh, Nature and Business. Um, it's an excellent study that they made. And in there, they talk about uh, what is, has to be done in the, in the food, land, and ocean use, um, in the infrastructure and the built environment. And the energy and the and all that goes around the extractive, and um, this report is in as far excellent that it says if we do it right, if we do it right, the total opportunities for business until 2030 is a total of um, 10, 10 uh, trillion, 10.1 trillion by annual business opportunities, and creating about 300 and almost 400 million jobs by 2030. But actually green business means business and it means profitability. And that is what, I guess, uh, the World Economic Forum report tries to express there. It's yes. an opportunity to yes. make money for businesses. Yes, and I think now everybody, everybody, I mean, all those people who said, well, you know, uh, denying it, like, like uh, unfortunately, the, the, uh, the, the president of the United States and other people, I think uh, they have the, the pressure from business will be such that governments need to act, need to put up regulations or alleviate regulations in some areas to facilitate that. And yeah. I, I believe very strongly that, um, you know, a little anecdote when I was, uh, when I started in our bank in early 90s, we, um, we started a fund that was, uh, the term sustainability was not existing then. So we started a fund called the Ecological Eco-SAR for Saracen. And my, the partners then, my, my, the older partners then said, there's no way a private bank can go into green, financing green stuff because green equals red back then. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're very avant-garde there, yeah. Yes. And, and anyway, we did it. 
We started very small, then the term sustainability was created by the Norwegian Prime Minister, remember, in the early 90s. And then it started, but we were still, uh, still a lot of clients and, uh, and business partners said, well, you're going into, into sustainability, come on, this is a, this is a fade, it's going to go away. And obviously has not, but it took a long time until now, almost uh, 30 years later, that, that we need to do something because then we only have one planet and we know what, what's, what's yeah. happening. And, 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 you know, this is the, the response from your clients or potential investors in uh, that fund, Eric, is like sustainability. What is that anyway? What, what is a green fund? What, what are you trying to say? Is exactly the point that, um, for example, Boston Consulting Group is making uh, in one of their studies about building sustainable businesses. And they say the problem is that today's businesses up to now, up to recently, they don't combine the strategy setting process together with sustainability. And so they call it the SBMI, so the Sustainable Business um, Model Innovation. It needs to go hand in hand. And they have a very, very strong and very clear approach how you kind of stress test your environment. First of all, your business for your environment and really from cradle to grave and set the strategies in order to really uh, be embedded in all those needs, be it in your supply chain, be it in your entire ecosystem. And that really then transitions any business business into something more sustainable. Is this what you've been doing at your bank back then already? Yes, I mean, we, we, I, I think we were, we, were, we were pioneers in that area because the, uh, but we were small, of course, but um, at the time I, I spoke to um, uh, the former CEO of UBS, Marcel Ostro, and I told him, look, uh, we have the expertise, uh, we can manage maybe a fund that UBS at the time, Swiss Bank Corporation, would, um, would put out because you don't have necessarily the credibility because you finance uh, oil, oil drilling and you finance all that stuff. And he, he said to me, that's, that's impossible. We are UBS. We are not a small yeah. bank. We are UBS. And if we outsource it to you, that would be terrible. This thinking has, has passed. This thinking has passed. Today, all large banks are in some way involved, but they still have, and I'm not saying just Swiss banks everywhere, they still have a conflict because they have to finance industries and finance businesses, which not necessarily are contributing to a sustainable future. That's a bit of the dilemma. But again, I think, you know, if, you, if the tendency continues, if you think that we have uh, today, we use 100 million barrels of oil every day, of which 50%, 50 million is used in, in traffic and so on, and uh, about 40% is used in petrochemicals and all that stuff. Uh, and it is reducing, you see old car companies investing billions in electric cars. Uh, Fuel cell technology as well. Exactly. The cost of energy will go down and so on. So you will see that, and I think since the oil price dropped tremendously, I think 120 uh, oil companies went, or oil and drilling world-related companies have have, uh, went, went bankrupt. So this tendency towards this cleaner uh, energy, but efficient energy, and where you can make 
money. That's the that's the the line yeah. that you still that we can yeah, and that do is, good things and 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 benefit from it. That everybody stakeholders, everybody can can benefit and make money from it. Yeah, that exactly. The ideal world. Yeah, exactly. If you don't make money as a business, you don't have a business. That's and that means that you have to, you know, kind of sack people. So the economy, again, you know, whatever you do, it needs to make money. You are still a business. And yeah. that's something that also Bill Gates in his latest blog uh, pointed out. He said, okay, look, when it comes to climate crisis, he thinks COVID-19 is bad. However, you know, the climate crisis and the climate change is going to, COVID-19 is just showing us something worse to come when it comes to climate change. And he says there are three important issues in order to really go for that transition. The first thing is let science and technology, innovation and investment in this innovation take the lead. They know kind of what to do. There's a lot of analysis. There are experts. And this is what should be funded. But he makes a very important point, which you also touched on. You know, it, it is very expensive still to generate clean energy. And he says what we must do is to look not only for new innovations, but make them cheap and affordable for poor countries, uh, because these are the ones that are going to be hit the most by climate change. They are the poor countries and the southern countries. And to be honest with you, why should anybody care if they are hungry, whether it's good for the planet or not, that they just, you know, farm their crops? So here the pricing point is super important. And there you have kind of maybe, you know, the juxtaposition between a business that needs to make money so there needs to be a margin. But then again, you need to make it still affordable for a, you know, for an audience that is huge and is suffering the climate consequences. What do you say to that? I think, yes, you are, of course, you're absolutely right. But I think one aspect we should not forget is the technological innovation. Um, you see already today in, in Africa, uh, many people... Uh, who do all their banking through their mobile phones and all that. So this, with the technology uh, advances, we will be able to, to, to gap this, hopefully, this poverty gap as, as we bring in, as we, the West, the, the developed countries, bring in technologies into, into, uh, into underdeveloped countries to, to, to help them deal with all kinds of problems. Yeah, um, and I also think the the uh, fourth, what they call the fourth industrial revolution, mm -hmm. um, technologies play in a, a very important role. And um, I just cite that from the report: for over eighty percent of the business opportunities identified in the report of the World Economic Forum, it can unlock nearly eight point seven trillion in value. So, um, um, if you are able to help the underdeveloped world with technologies that are groundbreaking and they can um, help them come out of poverty. And I mean, we have already made great advances if you look at the statistics in terms of the, 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 the poverty. But at the same time, we have a huge gap between the rich and the poor. Yes. And we have to be very careful as we, and I'm not a politician at all, but uh, if we if to look that the social inequalities don't go wider and we have uh, social unrest and revolutions as we have in some countries where there's anarchy, uh, this we should 
this is another subject by itself. No, no, but it's a, it's it's an important point, Eric, and I'm happy that you picked this up because you know, remember the film um, Waterworld, was it? You know, the fight. Yeah, yeah. The fight for basically uh, all the basics to survive. So the Maslow, the Maslow pyramid, really kind of dropping from self fulfillment to okay, I just have to have food. And if we don't look after our planet, these kind of scenarios you just pointed out could be a possibility. Eric, I just thought, why not take a couple of minutes um, to look at what you are involved in on a board level, and that is Race for Water Foundation. It's the first time, you know, you studying you and researching this, uh, this conversation, I came across it, I dug into it, and I thought it was so touching and really flabbergasting in terms of data that I would like to share for the first time, Momentary TV, actually a short video about the issue of plastics, especially microplastics in the oceans, because that foundation you're involved in is, mm -hmm. uh, is looking at preservation of our uh, water, oceans, etc. So let me quickly screen share and let's see whether yeah. it, it really happens. Um, share this one and, and share this with our, with our viewers simply because it is amazing. So here we go. Well, um, I was so, so touched by, uh, by this video that I thought I want to really extend this. It's a very strong message. And if I just, you know, uh, if people didn't read it, but one of the most shocking things I, you know, learned from this video that men eat or consume on average five gram, five gram of plastic, microplastic a week. That's like eating a credit card every single week. 
Okay, I would not doubt that statistic, but it is, it's, it's an incredible issue. Tell us a little bit more about how you're involved and what this foundation does, Eric. Um, first of all, I think there, there are many, there are many uh, foundations, corporations who try to fight plastic. There's, there's a lot, thank God, a lot of a big movement, but um, many have, have not found the right solution or uh, the, the right way to clean up and so on. What the problem is, is, you know, if we, if we dump every, I think every minute we dump a, a garbage truck full of plastic in the oceans as we speak. Um, and these, these big uh, gyros you have in all the, in, in the big oceans, the biggest being in the Pacific uh, with the size of, I think, a diameter of 350 kilometers and going down three, three kilometers. I mean, we cannot clean up the oceans because of all kinds of uh, constraints. That is, that is impossible. So the, where Race for Water comes in, what we say is to act, uh, learn, and uh, um, educa educate meaning that we want to, um, first of all, educate the people about uh, everywhere, about uh, plastic in the oceans, and secondly, to find a solution. So the first part was that um, the founder, Marco Simeone, a remarkable man, has created a ship, or a ship was built, which is called uh, the, uh, the Odyssey ship, which goes uh, since, since five was five years around the world is now in yeah, the third. The first, the first was 2015, I think. It yes, is. 2015, yeah. exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, this ship is 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 powered slowly by by solar and wind, and they go from one spot to another. So they went to Dominican Republic, Peru, Galapagos Island, then the Pacific, and so on. Right now in Japan, and. Um, tell people what the effects are and especially in those smaller countries and islands where they have no idea of how to recycle and if you think that there are 28 different uh, kinds of plastic then um, you know you don't know if you, you burn them and that's even worse so coming back to that the solution that we are aiming to is to um, have, we have a prototype. It needs to be um, proven uh, 100%. It's, uh, uh, how do you say, uh, proof of concept, sorry, uh, that takes the plastic, puts it in very small pallets, puts mm -hmm. it through a machine that does pyrolysis, and out of pyrolysis comes energy. So out of plastic, make energy. Yeah. And That's these the machines... Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And these machines can be deployed in a container size, they can be de deployed in, in islands and in countries where they don't have the infrastructure and so on. Now, it's, if, if it works, and we believe very much that it will work, it will, it will uh, change a lot of things. But our view is we have to start at the source. Um, we have to start at the source. What happened, what is happening right now, what already has happened, all the plastic in the oceans, it's very difficult to, to, uh, to clean that all up. So, but I think it's one of the, as you said, correct, it's one of the most pressing problems that we have because of, you know, uh, of, of 
in the food chain what we consume. We, we, will, we will, and it's, it's causing cancer, it's causing all kinds of things. And you will have, uh, if we don't do something, and I, I don't think that's going to happen, but I, uh, it's the statistics say if, by two, if you don't do anything by 2050, we'll have more plastic in the oceans than fish. Yeah. I mean, this, this is apocalypse. I mean, you don't think about that. But so things have to be done. And plastic is one aspect which is very important. And, for example, the, 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 the three biggest plastic producers, and I mean the, the renowned companies, Nestle, uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi-Cola, they have, um, and Unilever, I think, they, they are working on a uh, substitute for plastic. And plastic, and they said they're working very hard to so have a biodegradable version and so on, but it will take another yeah, yeah. 10 years. Meantime, we need some solutions. Exactly. And if I may interject to what you were saying, you, you mentioned Marco Simeone, who created uh, basically the foundation. He's also the yeah. president there. And I think we need to point out a couple of things that he said. He said prevention basically is better than cure. So we have to look at what we're doing on land in order to prevent plastic from even hitting the ocean or our food supply chain, you know. And uh, and also what your study shows is, you know, everybody's talking about this plastic islands in the sea. That's actually only 1% what is floating. 1% of all the plastics in the ocean that is floating, that's it. The rest of it is actually microplastics eaten by the fish, eaten by us, which is the real issue. So preventing, i.e. generating business models, production models, like you were saying, uh, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle are trying to do, even already in the production process, avoiding plastic, and then also recycling it or not having people dump it is a really important part. Yes, and, and one other point I'd like to, uh, like to mention is that we Western countries, we export plastic to the, mostly to Asia. And you have, in, if you go on the Race for Water uh, website, you have a ter terrifying um, a clip of how in, in, I think it's Malaysia, how they produce tofu using the plastic that has been washed up on the shores to, to uh, using plastic to, for fire to do tofu, to make tofu. And we eat it after. It's horrible. So, I mean, this has to stop. Even Switzerland, as an as a advanced country for recycling, we still ship plastic to uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, all these countries down there. And what did they do? They dump it again or burn it. Yeah. It uh, has to stop. It's yeah, no, that's amazing. Impossible situation. Legislation, Eric. You know, I, I watched that video. I dug into the issue a little bit. And what seems to be missing here, that these toxic um, elements in our food chain, packaging chain, uh, don't seem to be, well, harmful enough to have a real transparency uh, legislation where the packaging companies really need to list or need to omit certain chemicals that are, you know, interfering with our health, uh, endocrine health, uh, fetal health. Why is there no stronger legislation, do you think? Or is there? And I'm just not aware. Well, they're, they're, they're trying, they're trying, but again, it's, a, it's an economic situation. If you of course, I mean, the, the consumer, if you, if you refuse to buy uh, food wrapped in plastic, or you have to pay uh, two francs more, two dollars more for, 
plastic wrapping, then you start saying, oh, no, why, why do I do this? Uh, the other thing is also the big retailers that, are, that, are, that put out the food in our supermarkets. Um, there you should be able to, you know, I go back. If you, if you used to, if, the, if people used to go on the, to the market to buy their food, yeah. What do we do? They do it. They put it in. No, they put it in newspaper. Oh yeah, true. Newspaper, yeah. fine. That's that's fine. So in the supermarkets, it's it's not necessary, and it's only the regulation has to come. I think, but the regulation has to come and provide also a substitute for that. And you know, I think the notion of plastic is terrible. Is if plastic was invented in the I think in the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, something like that. And it was a revolution. Plastic was, it was unbelievable because we used to, to save food, to keep it fresh, to do all kinds of things. And in the petrochemical industry, it was widely used and it was, it was considered something fantastic. But of course, we overdid it. Like many things we do, unfortunately, human beings, we, we overdo it. We overdo it. We overdo it. We just take it one step too far, even though we're trying to, you know, go back on the plastic bags given out and the and the straws and whatever. But these are maybe just little tiny drops into the ocean. To wrap up our conversation, Eric, um, mm. let me ask you, you know, um, the ECB came through with that report saying COVID-19 actually could be a, a circuit breaker to really use this opportunity of the economy, reviving it uh, to put investments and employment towards these technologies that are sustainable, CO2-friendly, uh, green energy, etc. Do you believe COVID-19 is actually the circuit breaker uh, and, and things will now accelerate in terms of sorting out the climate crisis? It's a very brutal circuit breaker, I think. We could have done without it, but you know, maybe it was, yeah, maybe it was a wake-up call mm -hmm. for for us, for humanity. And I think, uh, um, I hope we will find a solution, and I hope the vaccines are coming soon. And um, I hope that uh, this, the virus doesn't mutate too much uh, into into a new wave. But I think we we need to we need to learn and learning. It's a we. I think it's, it's from the top to the bottom. Uh, the government, I mean, putting out programs like, like they, they announced in Europe and in the US and, and in Asia, I think are very important. I think global, global cooperation should, uh, should be furthered. And there, the biggest nations have the lead. And the biggest nations are the United States and China. And... Uh, It will only happen if, uh, I think, unfortunately, if, but it's like that, if we, we have a different president in the United States who understands not only COVID, <laughs> but also the, the environment and the implication and the, and the business. I think, uh, I, again, I'm not political, but a, a change there is absolutely necessary. And I think the, the one more comment on that, the, the Biden-Kamala Harris ticket that was announced last night is, is It's very good, very strong. Uh, but coming back, I think also down to the citizens, uh, the way we behave, or we behaved before COVID um, was 
bit careless, bit like, you know, it's, it's, uh, goes on, we're, we're, we're booming, everything is great. Convenient. Uh, I think, yeah, convenient. I think this, this will change the behavior of, uh, of many people. Although, I have to say, if I see pictures of, pictures of beaches in Europe, overfilled and so on it, it gives me the chills because I think um, many people have not realized that, that, that this is not over this is far from being over and it will cost us for years and many businesses will go bankrupt and so on but on the other hand what I said initially the opportunities that are coming out of there can create again new economic activities and new jobs and that's what's important uh, jobs and as you said earlier helping the, the underdeveloped world and through that also keeping the social balance within our within our countries within the world so uh, that is uh, the big uh, big thoughts but i think uh, if we put together especially the the elite the intellectual and the economic elite in this in this world Pull together, we can we can manage. Yeah, and effort is something that we need in order to evolve. The last one, because you mentioned the elite, the intellectual elite, uh, the financial elite. Uh, looking at yourself and having been involved in building businesses, uh, you know, uh, to the to the highest level, what would you say are the three key learnings, Eric? You can pass on to, to our community in order to build a sustainable business, also considering that you come from a family business? Um, good question. I think, first of all, uh, if I hear people say, well, I'm just, I don't, I'm just a little citizen. I, I cannot do anything in, in solving whatever problems you have. Yes, you can. Yes, you can get involved. Get involved. Get involved on on smaller levels, on higher levels. Just get involved. Don't sit there and just say it's well, you know, it's it's fate. It's going to happen. That's number one. And number two is I think that the, you got to in in terms of businesses and young businesses, as you said, I I work with young people in building businesses. Is the the, the relentless um, search for solutions for new businesses and if you have an idea believe in it and and go all the way i think the environment is excellent there's a lot of capital around uh, and and people who who are able to help then and then finally i think the, we should not uh, lose hope in in uh, in everything we do but of course you know the important thing is uh, the, the cooperation or the, the, yeah, the work together between the governments and businesses. And there you, you, you know that in some countries, unfortunately, the, the, the government is too much involved in business, meaning it, it doesn't work. And there, I think we need, we need a much more the, the, the governments need to take themselves as regulator but as facilitator for the businesses to be developed. I mean, that was a bit a long description of what happened. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. 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 Excellent. I think that's what comes to my mind. I mean, there, there are probably lots of other 
things, but I think for we have, we need to give young people, especially the generation, you know, when 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 our children say to us, you know, you it's great you destroyed the planet. It's great what you did, you know. Um, we need to give them hope that that uh, that it's not all lost, not a lost cause, but that it's it's worth it getting involved and doing something. Eric. Thank you so much for your wisdom sharing with us. Thank you so much for the great work you do, be it as an investor, be it as a philanthropist and a huge supporter of the NGOs you are involved in. Thank you so much for joining us here on Mentory TV. Thank you very much, Matricia. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.